You may be seated. Uh, glad to hear you worshiping the Lord together. Uh, this summer, we're uh, doing a study of, of 1 Corinthians, and uh, we're calling it Wise Up, because that, that's what uh, Paul, he's writing to this church, church like ours, and he's saying, listen, do you really want wisdom to live God's way? Well, then wise up about these things. Now, we're going through the book, and we come to chapter 6 today, and one of the good things about going through a book of the Bible, you know, is that you don't skip over chapters that you'd like to skip over, okay? And that's, you know, kind of where we are uh, today, okay? You know, it's not like, you know, you're having a conversation with someone, you're talking about the weather, oh, it's nice, oh, it's a little humid, oh, yeah. Hey, let's talk about uh, lawsuits and sexual immorality. I mean, you know, you just don't do that, right? And that's kind of where we are today as we come into chapter 6. But obviously, this is so important. This is so important for us as Christ followers. And so today, I just pray that uh, you would just listen to the voice of God for what he has to say to us from 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Dear Father, speak to us today. Lord, I, I don't want it to be my words that are heard. I want it to be you, the Holy Spirit, just whispering into our heart our mind, the things that you have for us, how you would have us live, how to be wise, how to make wise choices for this life, and especially for the eternal life to come. Father, thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1. When one of you has a dispute with another Christian, with another brother or sister in Christ, how dare you file a lawsuit and ask a secular court to decide the matter instead of taking it up, taking it to other believers. What's God saying to us here? Wise up. Resolve conflicts God's way, not the world's way. And he's saying, and obviously this was a problem, you know, in the church at Corinth. Christ followers, he said, they shouldn't be dragging each other to secular court to sue each other. Why not? Because he's going to go on to say, we can resolve those conflicts with God's help and of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. And so, verses 2 to 8, it tells us here that God equips believers in Jesus Christ to resolve disputes, not not a fight with each other over them. Verse 2, don't you realize that someday we believers will judge the world? And since you're going to judge the world, can't you decide even these little things among yourselves? Don't you realize that we will judge angels? So you should surely be able to resolve ordinary disputes in this life. If you have legal disputes about such matters, why go to outside judges who are not respected by the church? I'm saying this to shame you, Paul writes. Isn't there someone in all the church who's wise enough to decide these issues? But instead, one believer sues another right in front of unbelievers. Even to have such lawsuits with one another is a defeat for you. Why not just accept the injustice and leave it at that? Why, why not let yourselves be cheated? Instead, you, you yourselves are the ones who do wrong and cheat your fellow believers. What's he saying? He's saying, you know, if, you, if you're suing 
a fellow believer, that's the world's way. And that is so different than God's way. The world's way is, you, okay, you sue your brother or sister in Christ. Now, what's that do? What's the result? It brings shame to the church. And you get bitter because you're not resolving it. God's way is for spiritual resolution. It's you, and what happens when we do that? It brings glory to God. Instead of getting bitter, you get better. We have uh, core values that we talk about a lot around here. One of them is that loved people love. We're loved by God. And he, because of that, we're so, we should love him and we should love others. And what kind of love is that? It's not. And God wants to work in our lives and in our hearts that way. Because love people love. We should resolve conflicts God's way. Now, I just need to say, I'm so thankful. I've never seen this happen in the church. You know, where it, in a church I, that I was associated with where, you know, one person, one member of the church is suing another one. I, I'm just so glad. Suing each other is not really uh, a huge problem in most churches. But the next one is. And let's move to that. Verses 12 to 20. Let's jump down to verses 12 to 20. Because God tells us who are Christ followers that we need to wise up and realize that sex is God's holy gift. Now I told you this was the kind of sermon you just want to jump over. Oh, let's move to the next chapter, okay? But we're not going to do that today. Because God has something for us. And now, Paul, let's, let's, let's understand the context here, okay? Paul is writing to Christians in the first century who lived in the city of Corinth, all right? Now, Corinth was sin city. I mean, you know, it was the Las Vegas or the Bangkok of the world, you know, today, all right? And, and Corinth was the uh, temple of Aphrodite. Now, Aphrodite is the goddess of what? Of sex. Of fertility. And, and in this temple, there were a thousand temple prostitutes. I mean, you went in, you got a prostitute, you paid your tithe. I mean, sex was their religion. And it was just so pervasive. And it was impacting the believers. So in verse 12, he says to them, he's writing to them, and he's saying to them, now I, I hear that you Christians in Corinth are saying this, verse 12, I'm allowed to do anything. Which means, you know, like, well, I don't really have to obey God's word because God is a God of grace. And, uh, you know, I mean, a lot of those were laws that were given in the Old Testament. And I don't have to follow those. I am free to do whatever I want. Now, that sounds pretty 21st century American, doesn't it? Don't tell me what to do. I'm free to do what I want to do. But Paul's asking a question of them. He's saying, you know, okay, that's what you believe. Does God believe that? Is God okay with you believing that you're free to do anything you want? Verse 12, you say, I'm allowed to do anything, 
but but not everything is good for you and even though okay I am allowed to do anything I must not become a slave to anything now here's let, let's get into this you see Christians are people who have been set free there is freedom in Christ John eight thirty six. Jesus said if I set you free, you are truly free. You are free indeed. free indeed. But did he mean that we're free to do whatever we feel like doing? No. Uh, Galatians 5.13 says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but don't use that freedom to indulge the flesh, the sinful nature. You see, Jesus sets us free from sin. From the penalty of it. When we stand before God, there's no condemnation to those in Christ Jesus. He sets us free from the penalty of sin. And he also sets us free from the power of sin. We don't have to be a slave to sin anymore. Jesus sets us free from sin. He doesn't set us free to sin. The practice of sin in our daily lives. No, we're not free to sin. And why not? Because sin is a terrible slave master. And if you get caught up in sin, it will own you and eventually destroy you. And you see here, the, the, the Christians in this city, and, and they're just being inundated and pressured and tempted and, and mocked if they don't go along with the world. And, and so they started justifying sexual immorality. All right? And, and they, one of the ways they did it, verse 13, is they just said, well, they compared it to eating. Okay? Verse 13, you say food was made for the stomach, and the stomach was made for food. So, like, you can eat whatever you want. Okay? This is true, Paul says, though someday God will do away with both food and your stomach. Okay? But. You can't make the analogy. You can't say that you can eat whatever you want. You can't say that you can do with your body whatever you want. Our bodies, you can't say our bodies were made for sexual immorality. See, he's saying you can eat what you want. You are no longer under, he says to the Christians, those dietary laws that are in the Old Testament, okay? The dietary laws that God gave to the Israelites, not to us. He gave it to them to protect them. In the Old Testament, they couldn't eat pork because of all the bacteria in it. And this was before the days of refrigeration. Now, because of refrigeration and preservatives, you can eat pork. You can eat pork three times a day, seven days a week, can't you? But do you want to? Should you? Is it good for you? You can, you're free to eat Big Macs and French fries every day. But there's a cost to it, isn't there? Weight gain, increasing your, your risk of heart attack or stroke. Yeah, you're free to eat whatever you want. Should you? No. So that's what he's saying there in verse 13. You are free to eat what you want, but you can't say that our bodies were made for sexual immorality. Why not? Because they weren't made for sexual immorality. They were made for the Lord. And the Lord cares about our bodies. 
And one day, God is going to raise up those bodies from the dead by his power. Just as he raised up Jesus from the dead. Friend, one day, God's going to raise up our bodies. See, God made our bodies to do and uh, to do holy things, just like the rest of us. Jesus Christ died to save us from sin, and one day our bodies are going to be resurrected and perfected and glorified. So how can we even think that using our body for sexual immorality is okay? When I was in high school, uh, I remember at the uh, lunch, lunch table one day, uh, I, I don't know how this came up, how this got started. But all of a sudden, Jed said, hey, Jesus died for our sins, so let's make the most of them. So let's just sin to our heart's content. I mean, hey, Jesus died for this, so there's no, there's no penalty, there's no problem. You know, he's going to forgive them all. How does God feel when we say, well, I can sin because all I have to do is ask Jesus to forgive me. How could we even think that God is okay with us sinning, doing the very things that sent his son to the cross? Verse 15, don't you realize your bodies, they're actually parts of Christ. Now, what's he mean by that? I think he means this. Jesus doesn't have an earthly body anymore. He ascended to heaven. He's not in an earthly body. He lives in your body. And the Bible tells us, the first Corinthians will read it later on, that you and I are actually Jesus' hands or Jesus' feet or Jesus' mouth or Jesus ears to listen about it says we're part we're members of Christ's body verse 15 so should a man then take this body where Jesus lives part of Christ and should he join it to a prostitute never now see again this was a this was a city where there were temple prostitutes and so some of these Christians are saying, hmm, you know, that's probably okay with God. Never. Don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her. For the scriptures say, the two of them, they're united into one. But the person who's joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Friend, hey, Let's, let's be direct. All right. God created sex. God gave sex to a husband and wife as a wedding gift. Genesis chapter 2, second chapter of the Bible. First, first book of the Bible is about creation. Second chapter. A man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two become united. God created sex for a husband and wife to bring them together, to give them the intimacy and the bond that they need to live with each other and to love each other for, for a lifetime. 
That was God's gift. He wants us to do that, and this brings us together. And one of the one of the problems is that we think that sex is only a physical act. No. God says when, when you have sex with someone, you unite not your just your body, but your emotions and, and your soul. Sex isn't just a body thing, it's a heart thing. The word unite, it means to cling to, it means to adhere, it means to bond, okay? What happens if two pieces of paper bonded together and you tear them apart? Both of them are destroyed in the process. God created sexual intimacy for for marital intimacy, not, not dating recreation. That's true. Sex is about intimacy. And friend, the problem is that if we take sex out of the context for which God designed it, then we start to lose our ability to be intimate with the one we should be. God's clear. He created sex for a husband and wife united in marriage. It's a wonderful gift, but outside of God's protective boundary, it's deadly. When I was a teen, uh, a youth group went to a bonfire on a farm. I'll let you breathe here for a little while. I know you're getting a little nervous, you know, like, like I am. Okay. When I was a teen, we went to youth outing, went uh, to this farm, and there was a big bonfire. And, uh, of course, us middle school guys, what did we do? Of course, we got sticks, and we set them on fire, and we're running through the woods, you know, with our flaming swords, you know, having sword fights and all that. And, you know, we're having a great time. But... Uh, the owner of the farm wasn't quite so amused, and uh, he told us idiots to bring back all the fire and put it back in the fire pit. And he said, you know, you can't run around with flaming sticks dropping sparks that could burn up my farm. Friend, sex is a lot like a bonfire. It's good in the fire pit, but it's a disaster if it gets to the farmhouse and engulfs the people in it. That this wonderful gift of sex that God gave is destructive when we take it out of the intimate and protective boundary that God placed it in. Friend, <laughs> God built that bonfire on the sixth day of creation. It was the last act of creation. <laughs> he made one male and one female with bodies that fit together. And he made the matches. And he stacked the pile of wood. And he poured 10 gallons of lighter fluid on it. And all the angels, you know, creation's just happened. You know, six days of creation. And all the angels are standing around going, what is he going to do next? And what is he going to do last? And then God says, you know, you're pretty impressed with the sun and moon and stars and the galaxies. And, you know, that's pretty cool stuff. But watch this. Whoa. Now, I don't really know, but I think all the angels said, boy, wish I was a human. Now, I don't know. Maybe they didn't say that, but they were thinking it, right? Friend, 
You and I live in a world that says what God says about sex is old-fashioned, irrelevant, and impossible to keep. And I hope you haven't believed that. God, the creator and giver of this amazing gift to a husband and wife, says keep it safe and secure in the place that I made for it. Because if you don't, you'll pay a price. And before you go, Ron, you know, that's, that's what pastors who are still in the dark ages are supposed to say. Well, I didn't say that. God did. And maybe you're saying, yeah, but things have changed. Yeah, they really have, haven't they? Things have changed, haven't they? But I just want to ask you, they've changed, but is it, is it better? Is it for our good? Has our new, is our new morality and sexuality, is that working? Are, are we better off? Are, are more children secure now? Because they know that mommy or daddy aren't going to move out because they found a new sex partner? Or are, do all our children have that security and safety? Are families stronger? Are they breaking apart? Has sexual freedom helped our, has it helped our economy? Are we better, is this new morality, is, is that good for us? When 60%, or excuse me, 40% of children in the United States are living in a single parent home because daddy or mommy decided they wanted another sex partner? Is that good? Is it good that 60% of U.S. children living in mother-only families are impoverished when only 11% of two-parent families are? Is it, is it really better that 85% of, of all youth in prison come from fatherless homes? Is it better that 75% of teens in chemical abuse centers come from fatherless homes? Is our country better now that we've taken God's gift of sex outside the boundary of a husband and wife committed to each other and committed to their children? How many parents don't get to put their kids to bed at night? because of the world's way rather than God's ways. Is that better? You know, I, I wish we Americans would wake up and admit that immoral sex in every TV show or mo movie or music video, it's not helping us. And why is it there? Why is there so much sexual immorality in our entertainment because our entertainment in industry their goal is not to make us better they're to make it's to make a buck are we really better why did God give us these commands because he loves us his commands are to protect his commands are to bring true intimacy and love and commitment and joy.
And see, the, the Christians there in Corinth, they were living in a culture that was just all around them, a culture that said sex was just entertainment. It was just recreation. It was just a physical activity that you did for your pleasure, and that's what our culture is bought into today. And you live in a culture that wants to drag you down and away from God. So what can we do? What did Paul tell us to do in verse 18? Run. <laughs> Run. Flee from sexual immorality. Do what Joseph did. Joseph in the Old Testament, when he was tempted and the, the master's wife grabbed hold of his coat to seduce him, he fled. He ran out of the house, even though he knew it would cost him his job and he would be thrown into prison. But he ran because he knew that the sexual immorality, the consequences of that would be far worse than being fired by his boss, by being put in prison. Run, run, run. Flee. But we live in a culture where we flirt instead of flee. Run. That means if, if you've got an internet habit, you need to give your password to your husband or your wife or your parent. And then you need to ask them to check it. That means when you start feeling feelings you shouldn't feel for a person that is not your husband or wife. You need to take steps not to be with that person in any kind of intimate situation. You see, and, and it's so easy to justify. And this, we can do this as crazy. It's easy to justify something like lust. You know, enticing the appetite. Or immorality. Well, it's not hurting anyone. You know, that's, that's so odd. It's not hurting anyone. It's between two consuming. It's not hurting anyone. Really? Paul answers that in verse 18. No other sin so clearly affects, affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Now, you've probably heard that all sin is sin. And, and that is true in one sense. I mean, every act of sin is an act of disobedience against God. But friend, not all sin has the same consequences. If you come up to me and ask me if I like your hairdo, and I, and I say, oh, yes, it's lovely, and then I turn around and go, you know, okay, I'm lying, right? Okay, is that right? All right. But what are the consequences of me doing that? The consequences of that sin don't compare with the consequences of having an affair. And friend, God doesn't go ballistic over sexual sin versus other sins. We as Christians sometimes do that, all right. But friend, God is so direct about this because God knows what consequences you'll, you'll suffer. God knows sex sins take a toll on us in a way that others don't. Let me ask you this. What happens if a seven-year-old is sexually molested? 
what are the chances that she or he will carry those scars for the rest of their life? That when they're 47, they're still dealing and hurt and burdened with that. And think about this. It wasn't even their sin that did it, was it? That's why, the, why he says what he does in verse 18. No other sin so clearly affects us like that. Sexual sin is different from other sins and its consequences. It's a fire. When taken out of that protective boundary, it's deadly. Verse 19, don't you realize that your body, your body that you're tempted to say, well, I can do whatever I want? No, don't you realize your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You don't belong to yourself, for God bought you with a price. So you must honor God with your body. Americans say, it's my body. I can do with it whatever I want. Friend, that's a lie. That's a lie. You didn't create your body. God did. And if we have asked God's son to save us from our sin, then God bought our bodies off of the slave's market of sin, and now he owns them. If you're a Christian, then God owns your body because he created it. Jesus owns your body because he paid the price for it. And the Holy Spirit owns your body because he lives in it. You're a temple of the Holy Spirit. Are you ever tempted to lust, to think about another person in an impure way. Ever tempted to watch what you shouldn't watch? You ever tempted? Of course you are. And a lot of times we'll say, you know, if I do this, nobody will ever know. Nobody will ever find out. But you know, most of the time it is found out. In fact, God says, be sure your sin will find you out. And, and when you're tempted, when you're on the computer and you're tempted, okay, when you're looking at someone, when you're tempted, when someone is approaching you in a wrong way and you are tempted, make a list in your mind of all the people that would be affected by your sexual immorality, your husband or wife your children, your grandchildren, your Christian friends, your church. Think about all the people. Is a, is a few minutes of sinful pleasure worth a lifetime of broken hearts and relationships and families? No. Dads, would you intentionally break the arm of your child? Of course not. Dad, if you engage in sexual act activity outside your marriage, you're going to bring a lot more pain into the life of your child than if you broke their bone. Flee. Run. It's God, sex is God's amazing, wonderful gift. But only if it's in the boundaries, the protective boundaries that he has set for us. 
One more point, number three. Wise up and realize sin does destroy. We, we think it's only going to bring pleasure. No, sin destroys, but God delivers. Sin destroys us. Verse 9, don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin, those who worship idols, those who commit adultery, those who are male prostitutes, those who practice homosexuality, those who are thieves, those who are greedy, those who are drunkards, those who are abusive, those who cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. None of these will be in heaven. Whoa. Now, we need to be clear here. Paul is not saying that anyone who ever commits one of these sins sexual sin, adultery prostitution, homosexuality theft, being greedy he is not saying that anyone who ever commits any of those sins is automatically excluded from heaven he is saying that someone who says they're a Christian but, and the word he uses there in verse 9, indulge those who persist in a lifestyle of the things that God forbids, they're not going to inherit the kingdom of, of heaven because they obviously do not want Jesus as their king. They're choosing another kingdom. Again, uh, pardon me, I hope none of you are offended. But, you know, sometimes we just sweep things under the carpet or we just don't really think about things or are afraid to say things or, and again I hope you won't be offended by this but I think there's a point what is the what are the most used curse words that people use I think it's God damn friend it's not God that damns us. We choose the kingdom we want to live in. We choose the kingdom we want to live in. And a person who decides, no, I want this as my lifestyle. I'm not giving this up. They don't want Jesus as king. They'll not be in the kingdom of heaven forever and ever. Because they refuse to acknowledges sin. They refuse to repent. They refuse to try to turn from it, rely upon God to deliver it from it, deliver them from it. Our sin destroys us. But God delivers us. We can't go home without framing all of this, without reading starting in verse 11. Paul says to these Christians in Corinth, and some of you were just like that. Some of you were these very things. But God didn't damn you. He ran after you. And you were cleansed. And you were made holy. And you were made right with God instead of being in rebellion on him. And how did you come to be right with God? By calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Holy Spirit of God that he sent into your life. Amen. You see, we've all committed sins. We've all done things that 
we are not deserving of heaven, and we are certainly deserving of hell, of the kingdom of darkness. But God didn't give up on us. God didn't damn us and condemn us. He pursued us. He, he chose us in Christ Jesus. And so, friend, <laughs> the whole point here, chapter 6, sexual immorality, it is wrong. God forbids it, it but it's not the unpardonable sin. You know what the unpardonable sin is? It's refusing to call on Jesus to forgive us of our sins and help us to follow him. And the great news is that there's no sin that is too great for God's grace. There's no sin that's too great for the God of amazing grace to forgive us of if we'll ask, if we'll repent, if we'll turn to the Lord, if we'll turn away from sin and walk with him. Christians in Corinth lived in a terrible culture. And so do you. And I think it's going to get worse and worse. And I think we as Christ followers need to draw the line and say, I am going to please and serve the Lord Jesus Christ who died on the cross for this. And I am not going to become a slave to it by his help. And every day that I am tempted, I'm going to turn to him. And every day that I fall, I'm going to ask him for forgiveness and ask him for the strength to live the way he wants me to live. Because God loves us. Friend, let's wise up. Sexual immorality, it destroys us. It destroys families. It destroys churches. It destroys a country. But God delivers. But God delivers and makes us his own children and followers of the Lord Jesus Christ and takes us to the kingdom of heaven. Would you bow with me, please? Father, uh, God, what a, what a hard chapter. But what important truths. And God, we, we just tend to jump over these things. We tend to ignore these things, not want to talk about these things. God, we need you. God, help us. God, work in us. God, make us everything you want us to be. God, flood into our lives and deliver us from anything that would destroy our relationship with you or destroy our, our relationship with others and destroy our spiritual walk. God, Jesus Christ died to make us free, free from the penalty of sin and free from the power of sin. And God, Jesus can make us free from the practice of sin in our daily lives. And we thank you, we thank you, Father, that as we walk with Jesus Christ, we're given spiritual strength and power to say no to what would destroy us and yes to the things that God will reward us for. Lord, thank you. Lord, thank you. Dear Father, there are some of us here today really struggling with some of these things. And you don't condemn us. And we're not going to condemn each other. We're going to cry out to God for the cleansing, the forgiveness that we need, and the power to live a life that's holy before you. And we thank you. We thank you for your amazing grace. Your amazing grace, dear Father, to cover all our sins 
and to give us the strength we need to live. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me, please, and